from primary school comedies to intergalactic heists, 2022 was a great year for the small screen. I'm Natalie Moore, in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Maybe you're home for the holidays with a little leisure time, or maybe your flight's been canceled and you're stuck at an airport with some time to kill. Either way, if you're looking for something to watch, we've got you covered. We've assembled a panel of critics and TV lovers to share their favorite shows from 2022. With us now is Brandon Pope, reporter and anchor for CW26, Ariane Nettles, journalist and lecturer at Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism, and Danette Chavez, editor-in-chief of the website Primetimer. Over the last few years, it always feels like there's too much to watch, but this year especially felt like a lot. Brandon, did you feel that way? Oh, it's overwhelming. I think because there's so many streaming services as well that are putting their own unique content out there. It's tough. So there's even shows out there that are so good. There's a lot of great TV that I just I haven't gotten to yet. It's really a bummer. I came to this epiphany that you cannot read a lot of books, listen to a lot of podcasts, and watch a lot of TV. Like, you have to oh. choose which one of those content. Yeah. <laughs> so for the past month, I've been on my, my TV kick. Danette, any trends that stood out to you from this past year in television? Um, it felt like a, for me, it felt like a strong year overall, but I think it was really kind of the year for the second season show, right? Or the, you know, strong second seasons for shows. Um we saw with the flight attendant that, like, buzz wasn't enough to, you know, make a sophomore outing compelling. Uh, that shows like Reservation Dogs, Hacks, Abbott Elementary, Lissa Spookies, and even Russian Doll, I think, uh, came back uh, really strong in their second seasons. Ariane, did you make your decisions? How did you make your decisions on what you were going to watch? Was it based on friends <clears throat> like me recommending, or yes. did you rely on reviews? <laughs> Well, part of it was absolutely, you know, the conversation. Like, you always want to be a part of the conversation. So if a friend like you recommends something, then I got to watch it. I got to be a part of it. Um, There were some things that I was just kind of like, I saw coming down the pipeline that I was excited to kind of take a peek at. Um, But I think overall, you know, kind of like Brandon said, there was just so much that I think there are still many good shows I'm sure from this year that I just haven't had a chance to even get into but I loved so many of them already how do you all make decisions on what to watch I was cracking up today on the south side the tv show there <laughs> instagram they said we're celebrating Ujama the Kwanzaa principal <laughs> yes, cooperative indeed. economics for you all that are sharing your HBO max password <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of us. That's a lot of us. I was like, that was not from the HBO account. That was from <laughs> the Southside That was a great episode, too. The Kwanzaa episode. Uh, that was nice. I haven't gotten to that one yet. Oh, that's great. It was uh, good. But, Danette, how, how are you making decisions? I mean, this is what you do for a living, so maybe you just have to take it all. There is, yeah, there's a certain amount of professional obligation, right? Like something might not immediately feel like it's for me. And, you know, I'm like, well, I've at, I've at least got to check it out. And, I mean, there have been some really present surpri- pleasant surprises, excuse me, for me over the years. So um, I think that the thing is uh, deciding when you're going to give up, though. You know, like I, if a show has five seasons available and I'm just not into it after the second season, I, you know, I, I, I got to move on. <laughs> There's just too much to watch. You also mentioned, Annette, that you thought that this was the 
season of season two mm-hmm. on on shows. And so we also saw some workplace shows in 2022, Severance, Abbott Elementary, The Bear. Is that a coincidence? No, I, I think we're, you know, um, I mean, obviously, The Office was one of, you know, one of the biggest shows of like the 2000s. Um, and even if we can't relate to certain things, like I'm sure there are Gen Zers who have no idea what a fax is, right? But like, everybody knows um, that feeling of kind of being stuck together with like different, you know, people that you didn't choose to hang out with. And I think that those, you know, those shows all like uh, really thrive off of that dynamic. Um, I will throw in one of my personal favorites, Mythic Quest. It's a show on Apple TV Plus about a video game uh, developer. Brandon is furiously Um, nodding his head at that. It's a a sleeper. It's a sleeper. So many different, so many like just pure capital C characters on that show. But it is also very much about like how hard it is to put something new out into the world, right? Even when there's the passion, right? You know, there there are all these like practical reasons that keep people from truly embracing their creativity. And it can be, you know, it can it can be tough to watch. Like it surprises me with the drama sometimes, but it is like also just very funny. Let's start with a show that made many of our lists, and that is Southside, which <laughs> aired its third season uh, just last month. I got to tell you, bad-ish news. Me and the Turnburn got to head on down to the Evergreen Park stable. Someone's down there tagging horses, and the horses do not like it. Oh, uh, in that case, I might just hoof it. Horse killed a guy. Oh, God. It caved in the side of his head. How unhorsenet. Sweetie. It makes me saddle. No, don't. Come on now. It's not funny. He had kids. I'll rein it in. Hey. It's for horses. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't love a succession of good horse puns? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Officer Goodnight. What a guy. I know. Uh, We talk a lot about Southside here on on Reset. Uh, It is is a favorite. Uh, What do you love about this season, Brandon? Oh, it's just so Chicago. But I think what I love, too, is like we've fallen in love with these characters and they've allowed these characters to exist outside of the show in a sense. And so when we come back to season three, you know, we're, we're kind of just catching up with them in their world, with their new developments, their side friendships. Like, it all feels so natural. And once again, it's just so Chicago. When you live here or you're from Chicago, to see these references um, and to just kind of have some fun with the everyday life of being in this amazing city. Um, you can tell everyone there loves this city. You can tell everyone there has a passion. Um, and they just have this great chemistry. It just makes you happy. It's a good escapism show, you know? Um, Ariane, how do you think Southside does in capturing Chicago? So I would say that Southside does it better than any Chicago show I've ever seen. Like, mm-hmm. I think I can confidently say that. Yeah. Um, other shows have tried, but this is a Chicago show. So much so that when I meet people who are new to the city, I ask them if they've seen it. Because I think that that's just so much of a better representation of us than, you know, other shows that try really hard to be Chicago and just don't really hit it. And it's like, it's it's the small things that make it so funny and so relatable. Um, and it's just hard not to laugh out loud. Like, it, it, you know, we always say we're laughing out loud. Like, I am, I will literally be laughing out loud. And it's why I can't watch it in the middle of the night anymore because it makes me want to text people. And I'm like, I'm sure everybody's <laughs> sleep, But I need somebody <laughs> to see this scene. Like, I need to, like, 
notes. I will stand up and record it with my phone, record the TV screen and like start texting it to people. Yesterday, my husband was like, you sound like a character from the South Side. I'm like, well, I wonder why that is. <laughs> they got to get you on the show. Uh, that, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, Danette, are you watching it? Yes. Um, I use, uh, There's, I think it was in the second season, there's this joke about um, high schools, uh, about Whitney Young and Kenwood, and I use it as an example to other people about like how asking each other where you went to high school is a very Chicago thing. Like, it's not about the, you know, like, that, that's that's one of the first things that you want to know about someone when you realize that uh, they're from Chicago. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. where'd you go to high school? Um, and there's just a, a specificity to that that's so great. Um, but at the same time, it's also just like, you know, you, you don't have to be from Chicago to appreciate these things. I did tell the creators that they need to start putting in some more high schools besides Whitney <laughs> Young and oh, so Kenwood. Yeah. And Ariana and I went to Morgan Park. So, you know, yes. just, just Is saying. The just saying. It's the, it's the Mustangs. Hey, just, what can be knowing? All right. just saying. Um, <laughs> Brandon, what was your favorite moment? It seems like you have finished the season already. Oh, first, so favorite moment of this season that's a tough one. There's a Kwanzaa episode that came out where they these characters have this assignment to kind of make their own short film uh, dedicated to the tradition of Kwanzaa. And just seeing how these characters kind of like just embrace their own wackiness and lean in, it's great. There's a real housewife spoof. Uh, <laughs> there's like a, a superhero spinoff spoof. There's a trippy one. I mean, they just have a lot of good times with it. Also, uh, you know, the, the return of Chance the Rapper for his character, yeah. uh, that that is just hilarious in itself. He's a really good comedic actor. You never would have expected that. But, man, he really delivers and you want more of his character. The cameos in this show are part of what makes it as well. And I think that really it, it's easy to overdo cameos and rely on them too heavily um, to where they're not that fun. But they really just sprinkle them in in Southside in really fun and creative ways uh, that just add to the, the experience of it. So I love it. And I just my favorite moment overall from the show is Officer Goodnight singing A Thousand Horses. That's, I like guess, his favorite gospel song. And that's not a real gospel song. It's not. But he just goes right into it. <laughs> Takes a thousand, thousand horses to drag me from God. I, it just stays in my head all the time. I, I love it. I think my favorite, one of my favorite, definitely top five moments was the uh, – Man who was pretending to be like the hood Jean Baptiste Point Dusable fur yeah. trader selling like yes. chinchillas and squirrels yes. out out his house and turning turning them into fur. Okay, yes. Ariane, one show that made your list was Yellow Jackets. Tell us about it. Oh yes, so you know I like to say about Yellow Jackets is that you know it is. You don't think that it's going to be fun. And I say this as someone who's usually really afraid of horror. Like, I am a scaredy cat. I cover my face. I usually, I am not that person. So for me to enjoy it, and it's just a just a teeny little bit of cannibalism. Just a little oh, bit. Just a, okay. Oh, my gosh. Just a amount. teeny little bit. Okay. But okay, it's kitty, like, good night. Yeah. <laughs> so it's mostly, though, about... This group of teenage girls, which, hey, teenage girls drama is always good. Um, But they actually experience a plane crash. So this is like around 96. So they don't have cell phones. They're not like, you know, they can't call people. And they get like stuck in this remote place. And it goes back and forth from 96 to 
the current day. And so there's a lot of mystery. You don't really know who all survived, what happened. And so just imagine like high school teen drama, but where they're stuck in a remote place. So all of that on top of it is just so good. Um, but let's 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 take I, it. Let's take a quick listen. We have yeah. a clip. Well, aren't we a bunch of gloomy guesses? Who died? <laughs> no, it's seriously. Who is this guy? Misty, really? This is your big brainstorm. Do you have a better idea? I think what you mean to say is, Hi, Misty. It's so great to see you after all this time. Thanks for swinging by and helping us cover up a murder. Why does everyone keep using that word? It's not like I woke up this morning and thought, Hmm, what am I going to do today? I know. I'll find out my boyfriend is a creepy stalker and stab him to death. This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. If you're looking for something new to watch during the holidays, you're in luck. We're talking about our favorite television shows from 2022. Our guests are Ariane Nettles, journalism lecturer at Northwestern University, Brandon Pope, anchor at the CW26, and Danette Chavez, editor-in-chief at Primetimer. And we're taking your calls. Do you have a show that you love from this year and you want to shout it out? Give us a call at 866 866- 915-WBEZ and join the conversation. Again, that's 866-915-WBEZ. Danette, a show that was at the very top of your list was the FX show Reservation Dogs, which was back in its second season. And remind us what the show is about. Um, It is set uh, in a fictional town in Oklahoma. Um, It's a, you know, reservation rather, um, and uh, it's it follows this uh, group of teenagers who, um, you know, they're, they're indigenous teens. The show is actually, uh, you know, through and through led by indigenous talent. Um, they're they're writing the show. They're uh, Sturlo Harjan and um, or Sturjo Harjan. I'm sorry, and Taika Waititi are the co-creators of the show, um, and uh, it's just. You know, one of the smartest comedies of the year, but also just very soulful, you know, because it's it's about how complicated our relationship is with home, right? Like, I love Chicago. I feel like I always want to live here. But, you know, I, I feel the pull of other cities. You know, I feel the draw of, like, living somewhere else. And for these kids, it's much more complicated because it's not just a matter of fantasizing about being somewhere else. It's, you know what they leave behind when they leave home, and also just it's much more difficult, uh, you know, for Indigenous kids to just go out into the world and, you know, decide, "Mm, maybe I want to live in Florida. Um, And, you know, but on top of all of that, it's just very funny. It can be very surreal. You know, there are moments where one of the main characters regularly interacts with, you know, a guide, and it's uh, an Indigenous warrior who, uh, you know, quote-unquote died in battle, but, you know, he really, his horse tripped up and, like, crushed him. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's can, it can be very, like, uh, profound, uh, but at the same time, you know, like, they just let these kids be kids. Like, that's, I, that's what I love about the show is that it's just so caring. It's so protective of its characters even as it like regularly shows us how messed up they are. Um, and uh, yeah, like I just, it, it was a show that like Abbott Elementary, 
and even a show like Hacks had a lot to prove in its second season, right? Um, because you know you'll you'll get people who are a bit more cynical who think like, oh, it's it's the push for representation that 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 made people look to these shows, right? Um, and no, I mean these these shows are as great as they are because they're talented, you know, because of the the amount of talent that there is uh, behind you know the scenes and on the screen. Um, and, uh, I'm so excited that it's coming back for a third season and that, you know, I don't have to like sit here at the end of the year, you know, crossing my fingers that it gets renewed. One show that made all of our lists is the ABC comedy Abbott Elementary. Ariane, all three of you were on reset earlier this year talking about this show specifically. Tell us why this one made your end of the year list. So I think that, you know, this is a show that is very relatable to almost everybody. Um, It is a show where, you know, regardless of maybe what you needed or what you thought it could be, you only need one episode to kind of hook you in. And so we had kind of really, I think in 2022, this calendar year, we technically had part of both season one and season two. Um, And so we've really been able to experience kind of this world that feels very real, very relatable, still very fun. Um, And that's just a really hard balance. You know, we I know a lot of the creators have talked about certain things about like, for example, not wanting to talk about police in schools because they said, well, we don't envision that. That's not how we envision this school. But still being able to bring up the tough conversations about funding and gifted programs and all of those things. And so somehow they find this balance that just makes these things really important. And we've all been to elementary school, right? Um, (laughs) um, Most of us, right, unless you, you know, we're homeschooled, have experienced something of this nature. And so it's just something that we all know about. Um, And especially if you've been into been to an inner city school, like many of us in Chicago, it feels very relatable. So when I'm watching Abbott Elementary, it feels like I'm here. I feel like I'm at CPS. Um, (laughs) Like you're in Chicago Public Schools. Well, let's take a let's take a quick listen to a clip from this season of the show. That's Miss Schwartz, the teacher you replaced. The one who kicked us through? Are those my books? Oh, yeah. I've been kicking myself for losing them. (laughs) (laughs) Something funny? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Danette, why does Abbott Elementary come on your list? It's just packed with jokes. Like, it absolutely resonates for me, you know, I made every, seven kids in my family, and every single one of us went through uh, the Chicago public school system. And so there are definitely moments of like, you know, that 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 remind me so much of childhood. But it's also just like unbelievably funny. You know, like there's there's there was a trend in the last like decade or so where comedies just have become more dramatic, right? There are more and more of these dramedies out there, and there are several of those that I love. But, you know, you end up with shows that either make you kind of smile um, or, you know, they're they're more poignant than anything. And Abbott Elementary definitely has those, like, real 
meaningful beats too, but it's also just like packed with jokes. Like, you know, Ava gets up to some things that like, you know, I shake my head so much. But Ava, like, the principal. Just, yes. I, ca- I also cannot help but laugh. You know, everybody brings, you know, you know, some kind of humor, whether it's, you know, just like a reaction to something happening in the scene or, you know, they're, they're the chaos agent. <laughs> you know, just driving, uh, you know, uh, that within the school. Um, so, you know, it's a show, it, it, it's very much a sitcom, right? Like it, it understands everything that can still be accomplished in that format. And, and a network also- sitcom, like this is really yeah. exactly. bringing back, I mean, we've been talking about, you know, streaming and cable, and this show is on is on ABC. Brandon, are you a Chicago Public Schools alum, elementary? I am not. I am not. I'm from the great state of Ohio, but Cincinnati Public Schools. Uh, okay, and so, the other CPS. I can relate <laughs> to that CPS. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my six year old will because it's kind. Of, it is a family show, and yeah. she'll say, "Thank God my principal isn't like Ava." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's cool. They've brought back appointment TV. You know, I, I mean, yeah. how long has it been since we've you know, all come together every week and said, hey, I got to watch this show at this time. I DVR Abbott, but I try to make it a point every Wednesday to be there when yeah. it's happening and have that online discussion. And I think that that's part of the fun of it as well, is we're all experiencing this together. And for that generation of us that, you know, love The Office, love Parks and Rec, those workplace kind of mockumentaries, it kind of brings back that style. And we all watch those as appointment viewing and and. As as she just said, it brings back the laughs. It's just, it's a joke every time. You know you're going to smile with every episode. Right. I love that. We have a caller. I mean, let's patch in Rob from Westridge. Oh hi, hi! Thank you for taking my call. I have two recommendations. They're both series on Netflix. They're um, set in Barcelona, so they're in both Spanish and Catalan with English subtitles. One is called Smiley, and the other one is called Merely. Smiley is a is a rom com, and the protagonists are two gay men, and it's it's very sweet and funny, and they have lots of you know gay and straight crazy friends. It's it's really enjoyable. And then the second one, Merely, is a drama. But it's sad, it's sweet, it's funny, it's uplifting, it's poignant. Uh, and the, the, main, the, the, protect, the main actor in both is a very talented Catalan actor named uh, Carlos Cuevas. So I would, you know, recommend it for something, you know, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, it's different to American television. And you can, you can practice your understanding of Spanish if you'd like. Wow, I have not heard of either of, the, either of those shows. Thanks, Rob, for telling us. Danette, you are resident professional TV watcher. Have you caught either, either of those shows? I have not, but they're definitely going on my list. Okay, great. And we have Cheryl on the line also. Hi, how are you? Good. Uh, good. So the show I want to talk about is The Extraordinary Attorney Boop. It's uh, South Korean uh, and subtitled, and it is about an autistic attorney. So it takes you through the spectrum of autism in a couple of episodes, and so things that you normally wouldn't see um, on, uh, it's a light comedy. And so you learn about um, South Korean culture, you also learn about autism, um, 
and it's a very kind of sweet and funny um, comedy addressing some serious issues as well. Thanks for that, Cheryl. Have any of you seen that show or heard of it? No, but I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. This sounds really interesting. It's just so much television. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been in my queue. I've seen it pop up, and now I know. Like I need to I need to watch it. Yeah. Well, keep those calls coming in. We're at eight six six nine one five W B E Z. Again, that's eight six six nine one five W B E Z. And now we've got JoJo and Cicero. Hi, Natalie. Um, I just wanted to call and give a recommendation to. Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, which is also on Netflix. Um, it's a horror anthology of eight episodes, of course, co-directed by the master of horror himself, del Toro, and it features a international cast of directors that are telling really interesting, spooky, sometimes really heart-wrenching horror stories um, that have a very international take on what it means to scare your pants off. Can't recommend it enough. Wow, I, I, that's something that I would have to watch like through my hands, over my <laughs> eyes, and get all the spoilers. Because, oh, yeah. it's but, great. but Brandon is sitting here nodding his head. You're watching this show? It's one of my favorites on Netflix for sure. I, I made it a point during the spooky season to watch a new episode of that Cabinet of Curiosities every night before I went to bed. Uh, Did I, you have nightmares? I mean, none. before you went to bed. It's, it's like, you know, they're, they're chilling. They're not too scary. You know, it's 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 fun scary in a sense, if, if that exists to you, if that's a, such such a thing. Um, I can't suggest it enough. It, it really is fun. Del Toro's got a unique style, uses practical effects, um, great human storytelling. Uh, yeah, it, it's a great dive. If you're into spooky, creepy stuff. All right, I'm going to switch us to the intergalactic Brandon and Danette had the Star Wars show spinoff Andor on their list. Brandon, remind us of where this show fits in the Star Wars universe. Oh, yeah, that's a great question because that's always the most confusing part. Uh, it's before A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie leading up to the uh, Rebellion and also the movie Rogue One, Star Wars Rogue One. Um, so it's it's before that, but it's after Episode 3, which is Revenge of the Sith. So that's kind of the, the order there. Okay, let's take a listen. I went in and got this myself. How? How's that possible? It was it was sealed on the Imperial Naval Base in Steergard. Look, you got the money, I got the box. What else is there to talk about? I'll give you another thousand credits to tell me how you got it. <laughs> another thousand. Done. How? You just walk in like you belong. Danette, how does this show compare to The Mandalorian, which is another Star Wars spinoff on Disney Plus? Um, I mean, the, I, I think every new entry in the like Star Wars TV universe plays with a different genre, and The Mandalorian is definitely more of a space western, where Andor is uh, much more uh, grounded. Uh, I mean, we we don't we hardly even see any like non-humanoids uh in the show um and so for like tonally it's very different you know it, it, visually it's very different um and you know I'm, uh, there are big you know fans of the mandalorian and i, I don't mean to uh you know suggest that they're wrong <laughs> but for me uh andor is really you know it it feels like much more than just ip extension you know there are shows like Wednesday on Netflix, which has its own source material, and yet it can't help but kind of play with these, you know, 
tropes from other, you know, uh, like cinematic universes, like you know Harry Potter. Whereas Andor, it, it under it, it, it's tr- it's telling a, a story that's both very uh, narrow, right? Uh, as Brandon so helpfully pointed out, um, you know, it, it's 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 occurring within this like very like narrow window of time, but at the same time, you know, it's 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 very much about how the rebellion started among people who didn't feel destined to do it. You know, it's it's people who who had to fight back out of necessity, not because, you know, they, they felt like they were being trained for this their whole lives. Um, and it's people who, you know, the, the show makes us very aware of the cost to these, like, ordinary people. Um, and it, you know, but as, as dark as it can get, you know, it, after 12 episodes, like, ooh, it could feel like a lot, but it ends with this, you know, really uh, optimistic moment, really, um, even even though we're, we know that we're heading for heartbreak, right? Like, if you've seen Rogue One, you know where this is going, um, but that's, you know, what's so great about TV, right, is that, like, it allows you to live um, in this specific moment uh, you know, without worrying too much about what's going to come. So I want to see if Danette agrees with this. I think this is the first Star Wars show that I remember that really dives full force into politics like race, sexism, xenophobia, and issues like that. Like you really see like family dynamic dynamics and the politics play out in the Star Wars universe in a way that makes it just so much more real. Like when you watch as a person from a marginalized group Star Wars these past few years, you're just kind of like, you fill in the gaps yourself, but now you can actually see how this stuff is like impacting people in the galaxy. I think I think that's just fascinating stuff, and that's why Andor to me is like just such a great feat, just great. Oh, I, I have to totally agree. It feels less. I mean, you know, uh, they've used the words rebellion, right? We've heard empire. Like we, we understand, you know, with the, uh, we understand this is about fascism, right? But this is the first time that I think it's really felt. Um, not real, but the, like the, the, this is the first time that you know it. It it it's felt like it's um, you know there there's no metaphor for it. You know there you know it's and it's also it, it feels much closer in a way. You know because it's not these like space battles. It's not these ships flying through like the, no, it, it's people. It, this is happening in people's homes. This is happening where people work, and that's much more true to life, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Ariane, I know that you just finished The Best Man. All eight episodes dropped yes. last week. Tell us about the show. So, um, The Best Man, the final chapters, is basically wrapping up um, two previous movies. The first movie was from the 90s, a classic. Um, the second movie came out around 2012, 2013, um, The Best Man Holiday. And so... This series was actually originally going to be The Best Man Wedding. It was going to be a movie. And then Peacock came along and decided to make it kind of a mini series to wrap up this kind of story about a group of friends who's basically have been friends since um, college. And so there's a lot of history there. We first met these characters when they were in their 20s, and now they're in their 40s, and we're watching them kind of navigate these types of decisions and life. Um, And it's just really beautiful to see. It's not a perfect miniseries, because I think, honestly, you can't be a perfect miniseries when you have a series that has to kind of wrap up 
all of these characters' storylines in some episodes. I, I think that's just kind of like a really big task. And, you know, a lot of the criticism I've seen is, is surrounding that for sure. But it's funny. It's full of nostalgia. And it's just really good to see people, for me, at this age range, especially like dealing through some of this. I'm close to 40. Most of my friends are, you know, either close to 40, already in their 40s. So we're all kind of dealing with some of these decisions. Um, and I think traditionally, you often see these types of kind of um, friend, comedy, rom-com type settings with friends that are in their 20s, early 30s. And to be frank, we just know that those decisions are different, right? They It, it changes um, when you, as you get older and things do look differently. So I just really appreciated it for what it was. I, and I was pleasantly surprised. Episode one and two, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> it was clearly like that was the movie. Yeah. And yes, by yes. episode three, it settled in. It was a completely different show. Mm. As someone in her 40s, a lot of the storylines did resonate with me, the different anxieties that Mm. characters are facing. And there was a lot more character development that you could see. I mean, we have seen Shelby as this one-dimensional shrew. We've seen Merch, the butt of jokes. And I actually liked his storyline the best. So I was... um, I was I was happy with how they dealt with issues that that felt real, but it was also mm-hmm. you know not rooted in in trauma as as yeah. well. That's a good thing. Uh, what did you like about it, Brandon? So so I've I've gotten through about two episodes so far. What I like about it is, I mean, I was a big fan of the movies. Obviously, Best Man Holiday, one of the few films to make me cry. Uh, I mean, what an ending! And to revisit these characters is just so nostalgic. Uh, I I I I like that Ariane brought up. It's not perfect. I think the pacing is off. Um, I think that it feels too much like many movies, in a sense, and not a TV show. Um, But these characters are great. And to flesh them out some more, these actors are are outstanding. Um, And I'm looking forward to to watching more and seeing some of these issues come to the forefront and seeing these characters kind of wrap up their stories a little bit. I don't know if Peacock's going to leave money on the table because folks (laughs) want another Another season. Yeah. Does it leave it open for another one? I think it I think there's always room. Mm. You know, it wasn't a cliffhanger, yeah. but I think that there's still the interior lives yeah. of this friend group to mm. to keep going on and Black Twitter baby, they are having a field day. Yeah. Are you team Robin or team Harper? <laughs> and I'm just going to say they both villains. Oh, oh. You, I'm curious I mean, what the streaming numbers are going to be cuz I, I I'd imagine this has probably got to be one of Peacock's most successful series I would, yet. I would imagine so. If not the most so. successful, yeah. yeah. Just from the talk. Okay, so now we'll take Phoebe in Pullman. (laughs) Hello. Hi, Phoebe. So I really enjoyed watching Wednesday. I loved the goth girl representation, but I felt like it suffered from some writing problems. First of all, it blew my mind of that, like, the eight main children in the show, none of them identified as LGBTQ+. Like, as a recent college grad, young people are much more normalized to this and like talk to middle schoolers they're using they them pronouns they already know that they're bi and so it was kind of astounding that the only queer characters were uh one of the kids pair of moms who are mentioned like a handful of times and it just kind of leans heavily into an outdated nerd trope for eugene and they kind of struggle to position wednesday as like 
oh, she's a rich girl, but she's aware of her privilege, and she's trying to break that down, but they don't really get into, like, anything other than the fact that she's surly. So I just felt like they were writing for young people at least 10 years ago. A very fun show, but I don't think the writers are aware of where Gen Z is today. Hmm. Danette, what was your reaction? You mentioned Wednesday earlier. Again, I think it's a show that gets a little too hung up on being familiar, weirdly. You know, for, for a show that's centered around a character who is supposed to be, you know, not like any of the other girls, um, you know, it, it, it wants, it, it borrows from other uh, storytelling franchises to, to really broaden its appeal. And I mean, hey, it was successful, right? And it, a, a huge number of people have watched it. Um, I don't know how well it landed for everybody, but I mean, uh, you know, it, it did offer enough entry points to bring in, you know, however many, you know, millions of minutes viewed. So, I mean, I guess it was successful in that way. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's okay. about it. We have Barbara in Evanston who has a Netflix suggestion. Hi. Um, this is one of the quirkiest and strangest shows I've ever seen. It's a Japanese reality show. It's called Old Enough. And what it does, it takes families with little children, toddlers as young as two, And there's a custom that they are sent out on household errands and little jobs all by themselves. Now, granted, none of this is in the big city of Tokyo where there's tons of traffic, but these are kids from small towns, it looks like, as far as I could tell. And there's a camera crew that follows them around, sort of hidden in the background. You see them every now and then. The narrator is a little over the top, and, of course, it's subtitled. But it's adorable. And all I keep saying when I watch it is this. If we tried this in America, child protection services would That's be- what I was thinking. I was like, <laughs> what in the world? Like, this would not fly Sounds like a lawsuit. Here. <laughs> Mother sends so her little cute. boy out to the grocery store with a list and money. And she gives him a flag to wave when he's about to cross the street. <laughs> and he plods <laughs> along with this huge backpack. And another little kid uh, gets off task a little bit because he's sent home to get a snack for the workers in his family's orchard. And he starts playing with the dog and the toys. And two hours later, he shows up with half a bottle of juice for everybody. Wow. Well, thank you for that. Um, we don't have time to really talk about Atlanta, but I just want to acknowledge oh. That the final season wrapped up and just shout out to Donald Glover and how groundbreaking this this show has been. Outstanding. 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 Um, Okay, so I want to talk about a show that I enjoy that was maybe under the radar in the United States. And that's a South African show called Savage Beauty. Hmm. So I've been on this South African you know, and now Netflix is like, so you like this. Uh-huh. Now you should watch Get all this. the dramas, yeah. And it's it's um, about a black South African family that owns a cosmetics company. Hmm. And they have this um, new model who's the face of the company. But it's a revenge story because this young woman, unbeknownst to the family, was part of this illegal skin lightening testing because oh, the family owns a skin lightening firm which is illegal in South Africa. Don't and her give sister, them anymore. 
Well, give them I mean, you more. know that from the beginning. It's not a spoiler. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, like that's all established in episode one. Yeah. And I just love being transported to a different place. The yeah. acting is great. The writing could use some work. <laughs> I love the different languages, you know, hearing Zosa and other South African languages and having the subtitles on. So what's it called? You it's said... called Savage Beauty. And so let's take a Savage quick Beauty. listen. I don't care that the partners want equity. Throw up the papers. This expansion is happening on Don Bengo's terms. End of story. Yes. I can talk to the Kenyans, Nolos. The last time I looked at Nairobi, there were party in my hands. The new face of Bengu must have mass appeal. How about looking equity with a child? Save that enthusiasm for telling the maid how to clean grace. <laughs> Get about to little rubbish. Don't make it worse with your messy drinking. Excuse you me. You have to be carried out at the minister's party. Oh, please, Grace. I was perfectly fine. You're the one that was over Don't make excuses for being low class. Tonight is about dignity. Have some and smile. Enough. So you get to hear some of that <laughs> rhythm and the language yeah. and the different languages. So, um, Ari, I told you about this show. What yes. did you think of it? <laughs> I loved it. I love the drama. I love the, I mean, you know, it is like soap opery. So it's like extra in that way, but it's supposed to be, you know? And so I really loved it. And it did remind me of Riches, which a lot of people Which is next on my about. list. I like Riches, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yep, Amazon, Amazon Prime. Uh-huh. Um, and so they're both very kind of, very, you, I must, you know, avenge something um in di- in totally different ways though they're very different you so you can still watch both and enjoy them um in two different ways but um they both have to do with kind of cosmetics and beauty that's the it, it family drama those are the only real yeah. kind of overlaps but they are i did end up watching them back to back and it was really fun it was like a little dive into drama sounds messy I love it's messy, messy. Stuff. i love yes. it's the mess it's the, me mess. the drama, you can't drama. turn away yeah, so of course so this really bad. probably we have not even gotten to everything that we wanted to talk about but before we wrap up i want to ask each of you what shows are you looking for forward to in 2023 danette i'll start with you um i'm very excited about and this is a returning show uh but the fourth season of uh miracle workers it's one it's a you know it's a smaller comedy um, on uh, TBS. Um, it's an anthology, and I'm almost scared to bring it up because I don't want HBO Max to remember it and cancel it. Um, but it you know it, it changes uh, themes every season, and this upcoming season is going to be about uh, you know a post-apocalyptic society. Daniel Radcliffe stars. Um, it's very strange and funny, and I can't wait for it to come back. Ariane. So I am really excited for the second season of Issa Rae's newest show. Um, it is about two. Because you can't say the name on exactly <laughs> on the radio. Exactly. Oh, it has a four letter oh, word. One, that yeah. one. Okay. Yeah, right. We don't want to say that, but it's about two girls who start a rap group. Um, they're in Miami. I went to school in Florida, so it's a very like location based story. I love it. I love friendship stories and I'm really excited for season two and also very similar to Southside it was a show where I laughed out loud so it is a very hilarious one it's on HBO um, but yes it's by Issa Rae and it's about rap. A few seconds we have left Brandon. Daredevil Born Again Daredevil's Netflix series was very successful but got cancelled when Marvel made their 
Disney moves. Now they're they're bringing the show back, and uh, I'm excited to see Charlie Cox back in the role. We saw him in She-Hulk, I'm a Nerd, and Daredevil's a great hero, so bring it on. Mine is not prestige TV. I just want to see season six of Cobra Kai. (laughs) Yes, that's a great show, yes. So that was Brandon Pope from the CW26, Danette Chavez of Primetimer, and journalist Ariane Nettles. Thank you all. This episode of Reset was produced by Michael Liptrot and Andrew Merriweather, who also edited the episode. If you're looking for movies to watch as well, we also talked to movie buffs for our favorite films from 2022 on the podcast. So go ahead and subscribe to check out that episode from Reset. I'm Natalie Moore. Catch you back here tomorrow. 